Hi, I'm Catherine. And I'm Gail, and welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, our weekly podcast. Our signature is sharing stories of vital women 70 to 100 plus who shatter the myth that women become irrelevant as we age. We appreciate your support. Please join the Aging Reimagined Circle at womenover70.com and promote your book in Books by Women. Also invite us to speak to your organization. And today we're delighted to be talking with Susan Reed, PhD. Susan was introduced to social action when she was just 16 years old. And now at age 70, she continues to work for social justice and still asks, well, why not me? Segregated and fragmented healthcare, anti-aging social policies, and dysfunctional mental health institutions are among Susan's areas of research and writing. Since turning to alternative education in the mid-1970s, Susan has concentrated on mentoring adult students and her teaching, research, and writing center around various aspects of being active citizens. Susan left her full-time faculty position at DePaul University in 2019, and now she teaches part-time and has more time to engage in grassroots politics, congregate with her girlfriends and sisters, support her adult daughters, and pay attention to her aging home so she and her husband can age in place. Welcome, Susan Reed, to Women Over 70. Thank you. So great to be here. Thank you. <clears throat> now, Susan and I have been colleagues for at uh, the School for New Learning, what was the School for New Learning at DePaul University for many, many years. And yet I anticipate learning more about you, Susan, today. So let's, let's begin with having to give just a brief uh, snapshot of what prompted you to get involved in social issues at such a young age and, you know, and what sustains you over all these years. You know, it's funny how you sort of look back on your life and uh, realize that things happened that had an influence on you that you really haven't thought about in years. And I recently realized that in, or remembered that in 1968, I had an Australian cousin who came to visit my family in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And it was 1968 and um, Eugene McCarthy was running for president. And I was, you know, 16 years old and a junior in high school and very concerned about, you know, the boy I liked and, um, you know, whether or not I was gonna go to the prom. And um, he asked me, are you working for Eugene McCarthy? And I said, um, no. And he said, why not? That's it. That was the entire interaction. And I realized how significant an impact it had on me. That when he asked me the question, why not? I was stumped. And it really made me think about, well, I know I'm against the war, and someone really needs to do something about it. And he's asking, why not me? So, you know, I, I called him on his 80th birthday and told him his story. He had no memory of it. But of course, we were both thrilled about, you know, to remember that small interaction because I do feel that it gave me a sense of responsibility. 
you know, really didn't let me off the hook. You know, I was only 16 and, you know, he didn't say, oh, I understand. He said, well, why not? Why not you? And so I do think that I've been asking myself, why not me? <laughs> For the rest of my adult life. And, um, you know, I, I've been involved in politics ever since. Well, you have been involved in politics, and it seems to me that you're, from what I recall, you've been involved at the grassroots level, you've been been involved in doing social policy research, you've been teaching about different aspects of politics. So what um, what's what are some of the, the main threads? I mentioned a few in the introduction, but for you, what what of those threads are have been are especially meaningful for you? You know, going back to that, those early days um, when I, you know, right after I graduated from, I actually, I wore a black armband in high school in my senior year against the war. And um, uh, in, so it was 1970 and there was a lot going on politically and I'm in college and I'm working against the war. And um, I, I, the summer that I went home in 1972, just for the summer, uh, George McGovern was running. Mm -hmm. And my older sister, Sally, Catherine, who you know, mm -hmm. was the campaign chair for George McGovern in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Oh, bless her. <laughs> exactly. And she appointed me, what am I, in 1972, you know, I'm 20 years old. She appointed me and put me in charge of the campuses <laughs> in the area. And, you know, I had no idea what I was doing, but what the heck, I showed up and, you know, I tried to talk to people about George McGovern and why it was important to end the war. And I'll never forget election day. As you know, it was like one of the great landslides for Nixon of all, you know, mm -hmm. all landslides. Um, she sent me to Detroit because we knew we couldn't, win in Indiana, but we thought maybe we can win in Michigan. And uh, you know, it was raining and I'm walking these streets from McGovern and the results are coming in and we lost just huge. And that kind of soured me for a while on uh, political elections. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I you know, was a feminist in college in Bloomington, Indiana. Um, but I, I don't know, I, I felt like they weren't kind of supporting the kind of feminism that I believed in, which was sort of like equality for everybody. And I had read in Ms. Magazine about something called the Chicago Women's Liberation Union. And they sounded like me. It sounded like they were doing everything that I believed in. And um, so I went to Chicago for a summer and worked for them. There was this amazing thing then, the 70s. Oh, I can't <laughs> help looking back fondly on the policies of the 70s. Uh, where there was a work study program, a federal work study program, where you could work for a nonprofit and the government would pay 80% of your salary for the summer. Mm -hmm. So I went to work for the Chicago Women's Liberation Union, and that was just you know, an amazing experience. These women were incredible. Um, if you haven't seen the documentary called The Janes, yes, um, you know that that those are those women. And 
so I worked there, uh, you know, for the summer, went back to college, got my degree, moved back to Chicago. Uh, and uh, before long, uh, Harold Washington was running for mayor, the first black uh, mayor of Chicago. So I got involved in that campaign. Um, but you know, now I'm starting to have kids and working full time and my husband's really busy working and it's getting harder and harder to fit um, political activism into my life. Um, but I do what I can, right? I you know, work for candidates when I can and I make donations when I can. Um, but I just wanted to mention what I've been doing for the last Oh my gosh, how many years? Could it be 10? Um, so Barack Obama's running for president and someone named Tina Chen, who some of my girlfriends and I knew because our kids went to high school together. He's working for Barack Obama. She's working for Barack Obama. And she has this big meeting where she calls together everybody she knows in Chicago and basically says, we've got to get to work. It's so important for women that this man is elected president, right now especially, and um, let's do it. So some of my friends and I went downtown to see her and in the car ride home, we decided, okay, there were five of us and we were gonna make a list of all our girlfriends and we were gonna send out an email and we were gonna ask them to join us in starting to work for Barack Obama. And um, they did. And over the course until the present day, we had this group of girlfriends and we call ourselves the girlfriend group because Jan Schakowsky came to one of our events and called us that. They said, oh, you guys have girlfriend groups. So we call ourselves, you know, girlfriend group, capital G, capital G. Susan, yeah. to, just for listeners who are not, don't know about Chicago, just say who Jan Schakowsky is. Jan Schakowsky is a congresswoman um, on the north side of Chicago and, you know, very progressive person who, uh, you know, we all respect and, and we're just thrilled to have her there. And um, so we've been doing this now for, a lot of years where, I mean, you know, like since Obama, which mm -hmm. I realized was some time ago, um, where we, we have gatherings of these women who all of whom kind of share a similar um, progressive perspective, but not all of whom know what to do about it. And uh, we, Take responsibility, the five of us is still the five of us, oh, the six of us, got me. Um, we take responsibility for finding out. So we find out about postcard writing campaigns and phone banking and canvassing for candidates that we like, that we believe in. And, um, you know, everybody is upset this week and grieving. So we are about to send out an email to people with suggestions of what they can do to kind of try to turn their hopelessness into, into action. And Susan, again, since, the, um, since your episode will be 
will be people will be listening to it in a month or two. Just name what's what happened. Ah, this what okay, happened. okay, uh, yeah. So this week the Supreme Court ruled um, against uh, Roe v. Wade, which has been law for fifty years, and um, uh, a lot of us uh, in our our girlfriend group are upset because uh, women are going to die. I, you know, it's it's a healthcare issue. Women will many women will have to have an abortion and uh, they won't, if they don't get legal abortions, they'll get something else that's more dangerous for their health. So people were, people are upset and um, need other people to talk to. So I just love this group. It's just, you know, it's very informal. You can imagine it's a group of women, you know, we talk about a lot of different things, uh, but we support each other and we help each other grieve when we need to grieve, which we've been doing a lot of recently and uh, act, you know, figure out, because to me, one of the best ways to deal with grief and feelings of hopelessness is to do something. And how, that's how it works for me. Yeah. And, and also, you know, the research shows that people that are actively involved are healthier. Mm-hmm. And that this is even more true for older adults for some reason, that the more involved we are, the healthier we are and variety of different measures and literally live longer. Susan, one of the things I didn't realize or I had forgotten, I guess, is how how you spent a fair amount of your earlier career working uh, in social policy around aging issues. Yeah. And then and then you moved into school for new learning and a faculty position. And of course those uh, the students there are and from their 25 to 85. So again, it's more of an aging, older, more mature popular student population. What, what is it, how did the School for New Learning help you, or what kind of a platform did that provide for you in terms of all of these different interests that you've, you've been involved in? Well, um, uh, going back to college again, I was introduced to uh, ideas of alternative education, that people learn experientially, that people learn by doing, and that um, there didn't need to be this hierarchy necessarily in the learning experience that, that we could be co-learners. Um, and then I worked for many years with something called the ACM Urban Studies Program that really lived that pedagogy. Um, Students were uh, involved in uh, a lot of social action really in Chicago, nonprofit work in Chicago and uh, learning from leaders all over the city about about how to do that. So I brought that experience to um, DePaul and my, what I was able to do at School for New Learning because so many of those same ideas were shared by my colleagues at the School for New Learning. It was really a great culture for, um, if you believed in that kind of experiential learning. Um, what we did, what I was able to do was teach about health policy and get students involved. So. I would partner with a community organization. One was called the Community of Wellness in Humboldt Park. And I would talk to them about what kinds of projects my students could do that would further their work. And 
uh, we together with my partner, we would come up with a project that the students could do in the class and, um, and students would learn about health inequality as well as how we can address it. And, and, and then uh, Catherine, as you know, I developed this online class called Active Citizens. Mm-hmm. And this is a class that really is about civic engagement more than anything else. And students are um, asked to really think about the obstacles that they have had in their lives that have prevented them from getting involved in their communities and to uh, develop a project based on their own goals, on what is most important to them. And uh, that has just been, I don't know, kind of feel like this is the best thing I ever did in my whole professional career is helping people at these really difficult times to believe, Mm -hmm. to believe that they can make a difference. And it's not by becoming a great world leader that articles are written about and movies are made about, Mm -hmm. but just being an active citizen and doing small things and taking small steps and encouraging friends and family to do the same and to learn about online activism. You know, a lot of students will come in and say, oh, social media is the worst. You know, we sort of say, well, let's see if we can make it the best. Let's see if we can make it a place, you know, where where there's a lot of positive conversation. Can you give an example or two of uh, projects that the students have, uh, have done? Yes, um, a lot of students who live in Chicago are just really personally hurt by homelessness. They see it on the streets all the time and every time they see it, they just feel sad, you know? And then of course we all, they all debate, you know, should I give money, shouldn't I give money? And um, so there's a lot of students who decide to do something, whether it's really personal interactions with people who are homeless or raising money and collecting food and, you know. Um, so there's a lot of that. There's a lot of students worried about climate change. And so then the question always becomes, what the heck can I do, right? And uh, I've had several students who live in an apartment building with no recycling and they take on that project to convince their landlord that they should really be doing recycling. And, you know, I'd say two out of three are successful in getting some kind of uh, support for a recycling program in the building, you know? Um, But sometimes it's international. I had a student this past quarter who, uh, her family was from Palestine and they were all very worried about the lack of, of water in Palestine. And, Uh, they decided in the name of an elder who had just died in their family, their grandmother, to um, raise money for water tanks. Apparently there are nonprofits that send water tanks to Palestine so that people have, Mm. obviously, the water that they need. Mm -hmm. So there's a real range. And it's just great to see. It makes me happy. It makes me me more hopeful. Clearly it does. <laughs> you yeah. sound so excited about all of this. Yeah. I have a question for you, uh, mm-hmm. Susan. 
So it, it seems as though then rather than start something from scratch, you uh, you have figured out the, that it's it's good to reach out to others to collaborate to um, and, and and to get and, and to do work within the realm of what's being done. Mm -hmm. how, can you talk a little bit more about that and how that works for you? That's a really good point, Gail. I hadn't really thought about that, but you're right. Um, I guess political activism for me is social. Mm -hmm. It's, it's um, something that I want to do with my friends. <laughs> you know, it's something that um, uh, I get a lot of energy from other people. I get a lot of support from other people. I, I, <laughs> you know what else? I don't like going to meetings. <laughs> mm -hmm. I really don't like going to meetings. So, you know, it's just too many times I've been to meetings and people go off on some tangent about the wording of something or whatever. <laughs> and I just, I, I, I lose it. You know, I don't have the patience for it. Oh. But give me something to do. And I love that, right? I, I guess I've just become more practical. You know, I just... Um, you know, I'm not necessarily the leader of our group. I'm not necessarily the person who, uh, you know, pushes for, for us to send out those emails or call a meeting. But I am the person that helps make it happen. You know, I am the person who does the research for the, for the emails or, or, you know, makes my house available for the event or something. So, you know, that, I don't know if that answers your question. I'm sort of thinking this through as you're asking me because... Yes, um, it is. It, I, I guess I guess I do need to do it with other people. Honest to God, I don't know if I'd do it if it was just me. Mm -hmm. So I need to find other people who feel like I do and who are kind of helping me, you know, guiding me even mm -hmm. and um, and doing it with me. I do think social activism should be fun. Uh, yeah, uh -huh. and I think it can be fun, especially mm -hmm. if you're doing it with your girlfriends. Yeah, right. <laughs> Thank you. So you you yeah. mentioned when you earlier you were talking about how you were put in charge of uh, you know the camp some campaigns and, and yeah. you were you were organizing on the college campuses and so you were in a leader more of a leadership position there, and so I'm hearing now that there's a bit of probably a bit of a shift that you would prefer maybe to be the the person who is going to do things. You know, give me a task, give me a meaningful task, and I can help make things happen. Do you notice a shift in, in your nature of your involvement? That's interesting. I wonder if that, <laughs> I wonder if that experience of, you know, how difficult it was to, to be the leader in that situation had an effect on me. Now that you're mentioning it, I'm not sure. Um, but I do feel that. I do feel that um, uh, that I have lots of friends who go to meetings and help figure out what kind of actions need to be taken. And I like to think of myself as a soldier in their army. <laughs> I like to think of myself as somebody who, you know, is not the general, but, uh, you know, a hard worker. Uh-huh. I know that to be true about you also, Susan. <laughs>
I'd like to switch gears just a little bit because um, you you have uh, to hear a little bit more about your your personal life or your family life. You have uh-huh. two yeah. adult daughters. You're married. You and your husband. It sounds seems like you're you have this wonderful house and you'd like to stay there forever if possible. So t- tell me, tell us a little bit about your family life and and what you see for your you and your husband as you age in terms of home. Uh, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have two daughters. Uh, and, uh, you know, you, we've talked about the sort of challenge of raising adult daughters <laughs> and uh, what, you know, what a gift they are and how I have to sort of work at figuring out how to be a helpful part of their lives. And they do a lot to help me learn how to be supportive of them without, I'm not going to say without being annoying, but (laughs) minimizing. You you could write a book if you get that one figured out. (laughs) Um, You know, I have lots of opinions and, uh, you know, I have to keep them to myself, which is a, you know, Herculean effort a lot of the time. (laughs) they, of course, want to make their own decisions as they should. And thank God they make good ones. Uh, so I just sort of learned to, I guess, make my quote suggestions, unquote, uh, as respectfully as I can, acknowledging that, you know, they're the decision maker. And uh, they try to listen as respectfully <laughs> as they can. Um, but it's, you know, I worry about them. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, I worry about about the future, their future. I worry about, you know, climate change. I worry about a lot of things. Um, so I have to kind of try to I don't know. I'm I'm reading that I need to learn to live in the moment. <laughs> and this is not easy for me. Um, but I'm you know, I see that as something that I'll kind of need to be doing for some years. Um, trying to live more in the moment and worrying less um, about them and, you know, kind of being supportive of them. Um, And yeah, in terms of our house, uh, we want to age in place. And, you know, all of my friends were all talking about whether or not we should be moving now instead of waiting till we have to move and, you know, the kids have to move us. and my husband and I really want to stay. We do like our house. Granted, it's too big for us. Granted, it needs work all the time, which we don't necessarily want to do. Um, but we have we got, we had somebody come in who and ask them to kind of do an assessment of how ready our house was to age in place. Mm-hmm. And uh, she told us where where better railings needed to go, where grab bars needed to go. Uh, you know, she taught us how to figure out whether or not a rug needed to go. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it was just gonna, you know, cause us to trip. Um, so that was good, you know. And one of my neighbors did that. And when we went to her house, you know, my husband said, I feel so safe here. I mean, <laughs> she really had made it into a place where, as you know, kind of, um, I don't know, we're just not not quite as stable <laughs> as we once were. 
And uh, but at this house, we felt like, wow, we're perfectly safe. So we're, we're going to do that at our house, too. And we are lucky to live on a street where uh, other people are also going to do the same. Other people who are going to stay, stay. And we talk a lot. We kind of, I don't know, I guess half joke about, oh, we'll share caregivers and, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, and uh, talk about, you know, kind of imagine ways that we can do this together successfully and provide support to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, You're, uh, we learned, Gail and I learned about naturally, recur- uh, naturally, aging communities or natural retirement communities. Yes. It sounds like that's what your neighborhood is on the way to becoming. Mm-hmm. It's a natural we, retiring community. I think we could be. Um, you know, we even have a senior center just a few blocks from us over on Irving Park in Chicago, over on Irving Park and Western. And, uh, you know, that has great programming and, you know, Gap places where women from all over the community can gather. So I think we kind of are well set up mm. to be in that. We even have, you know, the village <laughs> is close by, if you know about that organization that yes. supports women who, um, especially, I think that's so great for women who um, don't have family in town. I have family in town, but a lot of women don't. Mm-hmm. And the village, you know, as you, I'm sure you know, is a place where women can get a lot of support. So wish us luck. I think, <laughs> I, think it could, I think it could work. I do wish you luck. Yeah. Are, are, um, you in the, are you in the old Irving neighborhood? No, I'm not. I'm farther east. Okay. The, um, of yeah. old, it's called North Center. Yes, North Center, right. In Chicago, uh, not all of our listeners will know what that is, but right. yeah, yeah, thanks. Yeah. So Susan, what um, in the few moments, minutes we have left, what would, is there anything else that you would like to, to say, uh, share with our listeners about your life, about what you see on the horizon, um, anything that you might have told your younger self? Huh. You know, I just turned 70 in February. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as everyone says, it's a big birthday. <laughs> and I don't know, I guess it does kind of change the way I'm thinking about things. And really, you know, it's in some ways, it's a scary time. You know that hard times can happen, but you don't know when. And, you know, sort of back to living in the moment, right? Trying to enjoy how wonderful my life is now rather than worrying about something that could happen in the future mm-hmm. um you know in these difficult political times i i try to um again focus on the wonderful things that are going on i've been doing this meditation that i discovered where at the end of the day you identify three wonderful things that happened that you're grateful for. And they can be very little, right? They can be your geranium plant blooming or something. Um, But I don't know, that's been good for me. I think that'll be good for me going forward to really um, uh, not focus on the problems that my kids are having or that the world is having. Uh, But um, focus on being happy, focus on being in the moment. 
that's my plan. I think it'll be a full-time job. <laughs> You're sticking to that, huh? But I'm gonna, that's the plan, exactly. <laughs> that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Well, Susan, thank you so much for talking with us today and, and uh, sharing your, your passion and hopefulness for the, the future and for your own life. So thank you. Thank you. It's been great. Yes, Susan, I enjoyed it thoroughly and learned a lot from what you had to say. So thank you. And thank you. please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen and leave a review. Visit our website, womenover70.com, to access all of our episodes and easily search by name or category. Join us on the first Tuesday of each month to enjoy programming beyond the podcast, hosted by Aging Reimagined Circle. Membership information is on our website, womenover70.com. See you next Wednesday on Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined.